Most accountants, lawyers, financial advisors, and even insurance brokers learn their expertise by getting some sort of certification, whether it's years in school or professional organization. However, I know from talking to so many of them, what's missing in those schools is the business of business, especially how to attract the kinds of clients that will help you earn more profit and not work so hard. I have a special guest today to discuss the business of business and why getting more clients isn't the answer to more profit. Here we go, insert music. Let's get real. Business owners who earn 10 times more don't work 10 times harder. Welcome to Work Less, Profit More podcast for lawyers, accountants, financial advisors, and other professional experts. I'm your host, Diana Lidstone, business and marketing strategist known for my straight talk, no BS, and helping my clients work less while paradoxically profiting more. Today, I have a very special guest sitting across from me. For more than 20 years, Roger Connect has personally helped thousands of accounting professionals start and grow profitable businesses. He is an author, podcast host, and president of Universal Accounting. Welcome aboard, Roger. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. So, you know, you talk a lot in your videos, in your books, on your podcast about something you call a premier accounting firm. Can you kind of give us a little background about what that is? Yeah. So it's basically offering quality accounting services. That's where the whole premiere begins. It's making sure that we're taking care of the clients that we're servicing. But in addition to that, it's running a business model that is profitable. And what we're trying to do there is implement an acronym that we use called MAP. It's referred to as mapping the business. And it's helping the accounting professional understand that they're also what I call an accountpreneur. It's really putting on that entrepreneur hat and recognizing you are running a business. And as you do that, there are certain things that you're going to be responsible for as you run your company. So I think a lot of them get into the role of offering accounting services, being in business because of the love or the need to do so. But all of a sudden, they're realizing they're running a business. And that's what we're trying to help them do is take on that mindset. Yeah, it's such a difference from being a doer in the business to actually, you know, wearing what I call the CEO hat. And, you know, that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have trouble making that mindset shift. And very often, especially I find if they're coming from a corporate situation, and I'm sure you see that all the time, they've worked in a large enterprise or organization, and now all of a sudden, oops, here I am. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's definitely an oops to it. And oftentimes what happens is these individuals running their businesses and doing so successfully find that there are areas of the company that they either haven't been trained in or not maybe their specialty, their aptitude. And it could range from marketing and selling the services. It could be the HR side of it, running employees. There's just a variety of things that just admittedly, we all don't have all those expertises. And so we're helping them recognize what those areas of the business are and how they can actually enhance those, leverage those so that they can have what we call the premier accounting firm. Yeah, I love it. You and I talk uh, similar language because I've heard you talk about marketing and heard you talk about profit. And, you know, to me, those are, you know, part of the key elements. But if you don't have you know, good messaging, good marketing, very often you're not going to have that profit. And, you know, it's really hard for an entrepreneur who is a specialist, like an accountant or a lawyer, to think in terms of marketing. 
And what's been your experience with that? Yeah, the way I'd like to address it is there's a phrase that some people may not be familiar with, but it hits home exactly what we're talking about. It's the idea that revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. It's basically saying if we put all of our energy into the marketing and sales and we grow the top line of the business, we can be very proud of that growth. There's a lot of energy and effort put there. But what we want to do is also find how to work more efficiently, therefore profitably, and therefore have the sanity I think we're all looking for as we're running our business. That profit is the trophy. It's the take-home. It's what we're going to be able to celebrate. And so a lot of emphasis is put on the revenue, and rightfully so. you got to be growing, but it's also the profit. And that's where, as the owner of the business, we need to be putting a lot of our attention is how do we improve the workflow, the efficiency, the standard operating procedures that we have in the business to ensure profitability? I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It, You know, I was just talking to someone the other day, and we were having a conversation about their business and their top line numbers were amazing. And I said, so, you know, how much are you paying yourself? Well, you know, we've been in business a couple of years and we're not really paying ourselves. And I went, yeah, that revenue number, it's a great number, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. It does start there. I mean, one of the things that we emphasize when we're talking about mapping the business is, first of all, nothing happens until you make a sell. I mean, all of us are experts. We're very good at what we do. So we've got to give praise where it's due in the sense that we are these excellent lawyers, financial planners, accounting professionals. But unless we have paying clients, what does it matter? Unless we have somebody paying us for this expertise, it doesn't matter. So we do need to put credit where it's due in the sense that we do need to market and sell and grow that top line revenue. But let's not beguile ourselves. At the end of the day, we've got to have something to show for it. And that's the profit. Yeah. We all start at the same place when we start a business. We all start at zero. And then we learn, you know, how to get clients and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden we get to a place where, you know, I call it the messy middle. It's because we realize that there's something beyond that. There is more profit. We can take more time off, but we don't know quite what we need to do. And this is where I see a lot of my clients sitting is kind of that messy middle, that chaos before they can actually scale their businesses. You know, one of the things I think that I see very common for, you know, these expert professionals out there is that they start their business. And yes, like you said, we've got to get more clients. We've got to get more clients, but they get into this. I call it chasing the money. And it's about, okay, more clients, more clients. And in the back of their mind, more clients equals more profit. But I I see you shaking your head. Yep. (laughs) And that's not the way it goes, right? It isn't. What we're trying to do here is help educate the business owner to realize revenue doesn't equal profit. And there's a number of times I've worked with people that have great growth in their business. They're making good money. But when you're in a public setting, they're able to hold their heads high and say, you know, the business is growing. We're busy. Everyone's busy. That's great. But you get them into a safe space where you're working with them maybe as a business coach, you're one-on-one, you've had a meeting or two. And then it starts to come out, you know, I'm working really hard. Revenues are up, but I'm actually making less money. In order to get the revenues up, I had to do this big advertising campaign. In order to get revenues up, I had to hire a salesperson or whatever. And I'm not seeing the return on investment yet. So yes, growth is occurring. Business is growing. What can I do to ensure I'm making profit a priority, that it's deliberate, that it's intentional? And that's what we're trying to do here. And so all of a sudden, what you're describing becomes an issue of, okay, let's look at pricing. Maybe we don't have 
have to get so much revenue from so many clients. Maybe we can address pricing and get that same amount of revenue with fewer clients. Maybe we can add more value to the services that we're offering, maybe niching our services and allows us to work with fewer, but get as much in revenue. But then it comes down to workflow. Really, it's the efficiencies. It's are we productive with our time so that we can have the evenings off, the weekends off, and have the freedom that we hopefully can have being the business owner if we can actually organize our business accordingly, delegate things, train other individuals, lots of things there. Yeah. So when you're talking about your MAP, so EP stands for, you know, it's an acronym. If I'm not mistaken, it's marketing, accounting, and productivity. So really you're talking about the P part. Is that right? That's exactly right. So once we've established that we're marketing and we're getting clients and growing, we've focused then on A, accounting. We've got to know the numbers of the business. We've got to be looking at KPIs. We've got to be looking at leading and lagging indicators. We've got to look at the financials. There's a number of things in there number-wise that we need to be watching as we run our companies. But production, you're exactly right. The thing that production provides us is the opportunity to offer quality services, over-deliver for our clients, but do so efficiently, leverage technology, some of the tools that are out there, whether it's CRMs, whether it's project management systems. It's just a variety of things that make sure that internally we're making everyone productive and effective. We're producing a consistent product for our clients as we do the services we do. And at the end of the day, we're doing it efficiently so that we can charge the same amount of money, but we're doing the job quicker and therefore we're getting paid more for our time. Yeah. And it's true. I see this so often. And, you know, I'll just use one example is, you know, onboarding new clients. Mm. And I go, oh my God, you know, you don't have a system for it. And it's all haphazard and all over the place. And they take on new clients that aren't, you know, a perfect fit for their business just because it's a new client. So, you know, can you speak a little bit about you know, onboarding, because I see that's where a big problem exists very often. I love this. This is a great example. Onboarding is a phenomenal example because it's usually a singular event and it can take time. It can be over, you know, weeks and months. But the point is, is you onboard a client once. So you should have a routine to this. And therefore, whether you're onboarding your fifth client, your hundredth client, you should have this process in place that ensures that it's easy and seamless for you, easy and seamless for the customer. One of the things you're trying to avoid is I forgot. Well, how did you forget? You've done this 10 times. You've done this 100 times. How did you forget? So it's what is that experience going to be for your client so that it's seamless, effortless on their part? What are those things that you need from them that they need to be producing? Logins, passwords, information, contact information. Well, I should know what I'm going to need and I should have as part of the onboarding process a place where I'm asking, requesting, getting that information, storing it in a secure place. And these things, granted, they will evolve. You actually do improve your onboarding process, but you shouldn't be like you were implying earlier, ad hoc, at whim, winging it. You don't do that. You've got to get to a point where you've got a system in place and eventually your clients are going to say that was easier than I expected. That was faster than I had hoped. And all of a sudden, what you've got in place now is a process that the client is saying, hey, I enjoyed that. That was easier than I anticipated. It took less of my time. And you may actually get referrals from the fact that they're talking to the other people that they know saying, hey, this person here is pretty efficient. I think you hit the nail on the head. I hear a lot of people talk about customer service, but you use the words customer experience. And if they don't have a great 
experience right at the beginning, you're kind of setting yourself up not for failure, but not success. (laughs) So, you know, that first impression has got to be great with them, right? I agree. They've got to see you at your A game. They've got to see when you're onboarding them that you know what you're doing, that this is something that you're excited to do. I personally talk a lot about curiosity. When onboarding a client, I like to bring curiosity to the equation where I'm asking a lot of questions about the client. Tell me why this. I'm interested to know the history behind this. And in that curiosity, I find out a lot more than just these little technical things and details that I'm needing. Yeah, I need to know the password, the name, the phone number, whatever the detail is, as you're an accountant, lawyer, financial planner, onboarding your clients. What I'm talking about is those curiosity questions of the customer that are personal, that kind of dive into the emotion of why they do things and the matters behind it. Now, all of a sudden, the customer is feeling like they're seen as an individual and they're appreciated. And we always have to remember, in my opinion, that at the end of the day, this is still a personal business and we work with people. And so if I can keep this at that level, I think I'm going to engage with my clients deeper than they may have experienced with anyone else before. Perfect. Are you a lawyer, an accountant, a financial advisor, or other expert who feels pulled in multiple directions? Maybe you're even the chief everything officer in your business. Are you sick and tired of constantly putting out fires, but you're ready to earn explosive profits and take multiple guilt-free vacations? Well, if you've answered yes to any of the above, I believe that you'd be a perfect fit as a guest for my Profit Potential Audit interviews on this podcast. Not only will you get at least one concrete strategy to move your business forward, but you'll also have the opportunity to increase your business visibility when you share about the awesome work that you do. Apply here, www.dianalidstone.com forward slash audit. I'll repeat that, www.dianalidstone.com forward slash audit. Insert music. Hey, Roger, great uh, conversation here we're having about productivity and efficiency. I'd like to get your opinion on something that is dear to my heart, but is, you know, for professionals, what's your take on going from being a generalist to being a specialist or as they say in marketing, niching down? Yeah. Well, there's a few things that I can address. First of all, I think there is a misnomer, a fallacy to presume that niching or niching implies that you don't do anything for any other industry or business. I'm very much a proponent of saying what it means is you rather specialize in your messaging for the marketing and selling that you're doing to that industry. It means that the service that you have is maybe customized to that industry, addressing some of their particular needs. But it doesn't mean, in my opinion, that you exclude being able to do business for anyone else. I actually believe that you can niche or niche into multiple industries or areas. And therefore, you can target very specifically those areas because of the messaging resonating with them and take them on as clients. And then likewise, take those expertises and apply them to another industry. And so over time, you could develop first a very particular niche and then afterwards a second, a third. But the point is, is I think it does allow you to still be open to other opportunities that may present themselves. I think it's a matter of diversifying your business model so that you're not in a particular area 
so much so that as the economy evolves, if that area of the industry is negatively affected, all of a sudden your business is negatively affected because you were so into that niche, you didn't have any other types of clients. So that's my first comment about it. The second thing is, is it does allow you the opportunity to do more with your clients because you are so specialized in what you're doing and therefore charge more. So I think it's something that I encourage people to do because it allows you to leverage, obviously, some passions or hobbies. People have genuine curiosities that they enjoy in their life. Why not take it to that level in their business? A good example is I know someone that actually was very interested in daycares. They came from a daycare family, a history of working in the daycare industry, and they chose to then focus on providing accounting services for daycares. They were familiar with the industry. They were familiar with the vocabulary. They could communicate well with the business owners because they understood the nuances of the whole industry. And there were plenty of them in the market that they could service them. Well, the messaging that they put out there, the advertising obviously appealed to owners of daycares. Well, what they're putting out there doesn't resonate with maybe a dentist or a carpenter, you know, a mason, but that does work in that niche. But you can still take that and likewise go off into other areas and now deal with maybe nannies or deal with contractors and niche into a second area. So I do actually have quite a few opinions on that. (laughs) Yeah. I think the big thing that a lot of entrepreneurs or I find with a lot of entrepreneurs when it comes to niching down or becoming a specialist is the distinction between you know, your marketing message that you put out there and who you will and will not work with. So I think there's two different things. I was talking to somebody yesterday and, you know, we were trying to find, you know, who would be an ideal client for him. And he was having trouble focusing on that. And what we ended up doing was talking about who did he not want to work with? Mm -hmm. That started the conversation. And so we got very clear, okay, those we're not going to work with. So yeah, Yeah. work both ways. We can go down this path as well as you're identifying identifying your ideal customer. And it's more than just the industry. What you're talking about are other things. Now, I'm going to say your avatar, your persona of this ideal client could be certain types of business owners. You could get into gender, you can get into age, you can get into experience. Just who do you typically work well with? And I'll give you some good examples. There are some business owners that are very hands-off as it comes to accounting and they don't want the details. They just want to know, did I make money enough, said, move on? And they've got other priorities in their lives. Other business owners are very much into the details. Give me the reports. I want to analyze them. I'd like to discuss them with you. Well, if I'm an accounting person and I don't like people who are dismissive of the information I have because I want to share it all. I want to volunteer it. I might feel that the relationship I'm having with that client that's an A-type, that's a go-getter, that kind of pushes me aside because it's not curious to them what's going on in the accounting other than do they have money in the bank and are they profitable? I might feel that they're too dismissive of the services I have to offer. They're not appreciative of what I'm bringing to the table. And I might just get frustrated working with that client. Well, they're in my niche. They're in the industry I service, but as a personality type, they're just not the type of person I work well with. Well, that's a good thing to know as well when you're looking at your avatar to say, well, who are my ideal customers that appreciate the work, value the work, and I'm able to serve? And in turn, they can use the information I'm providing. Well, there are different personalities there. And as you've been in business long enough, you'll start to realize, I like working with this type of client. I like working with this type, not this one. And you can start weeding through those. Yeah. I mean, this particular person I was talking to was an accountant. 
And the no list became, you know, not uh, businesses with inventory, you know, not businesses with like restaurants. And then he said, and I don't want the shoebox kind of client, you know, <laughs> somebody who comes to me with just a shoebox full of receipts. And yeah. so there's got to be some work put into that in order to really sort of streamline your business so you can scale and profit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what you're describing there is, I think, a healthy exercise for any business owner to do. Likewise, I've worked with someone that didn't want to work with bars, any place that served alcohol. I've worked with people that didn't want to work with the adult industry. I mean, you have your own morals, your own compass that you can kind of guide yourself with. The same thing is, is sometimes you appreciate those clients that want to meet with you. So you may say to work with me and pay for my services, you have to meet with me on a monthly basis. You can't disregard the information I'm providing because I feel that what I have to offer you is a value. So I have to require that my clients meet with me on a monthly basis. Well, that's wonderful. The other accountant down the street may not require that type of a meeting. I do. That's what I do with my clients. And so those types of things are very important because that'll also determine how much you're charging your clients. If I'm insisting that we meet every month, my fees might be more than the other person because I am preparing for that meeting and spending the time with you. Yeah. And it's not always, you know, I think you're talking about, you know, fees here and You know, I was working with a lawyer at one point, and I remember when she first started, she was charging, you know, quite low her fees, and she raised her fees, and she's very good at having team meetings. And one of the discussions they had at a team meeting was, you know, we're the law firm, but not for the price checker. And so her receptionist and her staff even got to the point where, you know, if somebody's calling and saying, well, what do you charge to do a will? They go, well, maybe, you know, we're not the firm for you because, you know, you're looking for a blow ball. We're not that firm. And so it's really important for, I think, members of the team to also understand who your ideal client is. Yeah, what you're describing here is fortunately a business that's a little bit established. I admit when starting a company, it's not uncommon to take anyone and everyone that's willing to pay for your services and do anything for anyone. But there does come a time when you need to become very selective. I think that's a wonderful position to be in where you're able to be more selective as to who you're servicing, what you're doing for them, how much you're charging. And what we're talking about today is exactly that. I worked with a financial planner that actually got to a point where they finally were able to determine moving forward what type of clientele they were going to work with. And it required them to get rid of a good portion of their book of business because they didn't meet that qualifier. And when you get to that point where you can now be selective, you're now working on your business rather than merely in the business. Yes. And that's where the freedom comes from. You know, the freedom comes from, as you said, you know, having those efficiencies, but also getting to the point in your business where you know exactly who you want to work with. And those qualifiers can become very, very very clear. Yeah. The way I'll describe it is when you're in that beginning stage, you're hustling and you're going to say yes to nearly everything. When you're in that hustle phase, you're working the long hours, you're doing anything and everything. What's nice is to get to the point in business when you can now afford to say no. And what we're trying to do here is give you permission to say no and point out that the no can be a good thing because now you're no longer being managed by the business. The business no longer is dictating what you have to be doing. You're now able to step in, say no, and actually determine who are your ideal clients, what are the services you're providing, when are you going to do the work? There's a lot of freedom that comes when you can finally get to that point where you can start saying no. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So, you know, 
we started off this conversation about, you know, it's not about chasing the money. We've all done that at the beginning, like you say, you know, at the beginning, we have to hustle. I remember when I started my coaching business, we used to say, you know, anybody that could fog a mirror kind of thing, we would take as clients. But, you know, we can't continue in business like that, or we burn out. So the next level is, you know, what do we do? And, you know, again, you talk about the efficiencies, like getting the systems in place, getting clear on who we're going to work with, you know, focusing on profit instead of revenue. So I really, really, truly appreciate this conversation. And uh, thank you so much for being a guest today. Is there, you know, before we close out, any last words you'd like to leave with the audience? Yeah, there are a few things. One, I definitely want to encourage everyone listening to take the time, at least on a monthly basis, to assess what's going on in your business and where are those places that you could maybe delegate. What I'm encouraging you to do is now actually hire someone to take care of some of those things that maybe you ought not be doing at this point in your career. And that's really empowering when you can document, duplicate, and then eventually delegate some of these things that are holding you back from maybe the lifestyle you're looking for. Maybe it's giving you the opportunity to focus on those things that matter more. I think that's one of the key things that I'd add to this conversation. As for what we've discussed today, I definitely want to encourage anyone that would like to to reach out to me via LinkedIn. Happy to connect with anyone. I like those types of connections, so feel free to do that. And then really anything, if it has to do with accounting, definitely, it's about universal. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And, you know, Roger's contact information will be in the show notes for anybody who would like to reach out to him and talk about, you know, a premier accounting firm. So thank you again so much. Next week, listeners, we're going to talk about retaining clients because here we talked about getting clients and it's not always about chasing money, but it's about retaining clients. And that's another way to help you profit more in your business. So again, thanks listeners. If you're an ambitious professional who would like a competitive edge, more free time, and paradoxically more profits, then let's chat. Book a call with Diana at dianalidstone.com. Thanks for listening to the Work a Less, Profit More podcast. And until next week, remember, you can do this. Diana here again. Working more than 40 hours a week? Think it's almost impossible to take completely unplugged vacations? Wish you could only work with the clients you love? It's all possible. Book a grow strategy session with me at dianalidstone.com forward slash apply. And let's figure out a plan so that you can start to love your business again with tons of profit and tons of free time. Bye for now.